0: welcome back to bible love Uh, i missed last week i I was on a uh, band trip traveling down to san antonio to watch my kid and his bandmates get ninth place in the state of texas so that was fun if there's ever a good reason to miss bible love
1: yes totally i I think
0: it's to go watch a bunch of band geeks it was good
1: good. out of board that's awesome
0: yeah so today is the feast day of margaret of scotland and so her prayer for today let us pray o god who called your servant margaret to an earthly throne that she might advance your heavenly kingdom and gave her zeal for your church and love for your people mercifully grant that we also may be fruitful in good works and attain to the glorious crown of your saints through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit one God forever and ever. Amen.
1: Amen. Well, hey Alan, I miss you, but yeah. Um so glad you were supporting Ford. You're doing exactly what you needed to do. But weren't we lucky to hear from Dr. Tony about Jeremiah and Lamentations? And so now you and I are going to spend the next couple of weeks kind of digging back into this a little bit. And so one of the things, so today we're going to do Jeremiah 1 through 25, and next week we'll do the end of Jeremiah and then the next week Lamentations. One of the things that I found like totally fascinating about Jeremiah. I mean, honestly, I'm telling this to Tony, like I don't feel like it's a book I know all that much about, but I actually like really identify with Jeremiah. And I wonder if other people will too. And I don't mean just priests. I mean, people of all kinds, like Jeremiah loved God, like had this huge passion for God, for God's people, but he also like felt kind of un not the right person. does that make sense? like kind of fought his prophecy a lot of the times and I thought that was really interesting and was even given this name as the new Moses like I mean how intimidating is that <laughs> um yesterday, we celebrated um forty years of music ministry with our director of music. she's been there for forty years. And she kind of gave a little speech and, um, her first rector that she worked under is the right reverend Charlie van Rosenberg, who, um, at, at that time was a priest and is now a bishop. And she talked about, she had two rectors that she really, um, had a lot of affection for. And one was Charlie, um, her first rector who, um, really taught her about liturgy because she grew up in the Southern Baptist church and her first service ever in the Episcopal church was as the organist. Can you imagine? And then she says, my second favorite priest is the priest I have now who's most likely going to be my last priest. And she's taught me about love. So liturgy and love. And in that moment, I'm thinking someone is comparing me to, or, lifting me up with the amazing Charlie Van Rosenberg. Like I, I I couldn't even like get my mind around that I was even in the same sentence. And it made me think that might've been how Jeremiah might've felt like that. He was even in the same sentence with Moses. Right. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Like just that comparison must've been a lot to hold.
0: Yeah. That's, I mean, anytime, when you think about comparison, what is it? Comparison is the thief of joy, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's when we compare what we have to others. But also like when we're compared, I think about I'm the fourth rector at St. Martin's. Um, I get compared a lot to the first rector. Um, he was here for a really long time. He's a beloved guy. I buried him a, a year ago or so. Um, I see it as an honor. I could see how some people could be threatened, right? Jeremiah wants to be his own person. I'm not Moses. I'm Jeremiah, right? But I think that's an unhealthy way to look at And when people see characteristics in you yeah. that remind them of someone else. Like, I can't help but think that that's.
1: Oh, I felt honored. Honor. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Lee Van Rosenberg. I felt yeah. honored. No doubt about it. Um, But I was just kind of putting my uh, in my mind immediately went to Jeremiah, you know, and that thought process. And also, like, I feel like I identify with him because y'all know this about me, listeners. But like, I have this really big heart. I I weep for the ones that are weeping. I laugh with the ones that are laughing. And I feel like he's kind of the same way. But he was in the midst of this terrible war that was going on. Um, he's trying to live out his call. And then he's also like this really kind of sensitive guy, um, who just deeply loved people. So when they hurt, he hurt. So last week we named the podcast, like when it was really good, it was really good. And when it was really bad, it was really bad. And that's kind of how I feel like my life is sometimes like when it's good, it is so good. And when it's bad, I'm like, oh, my God, like, you know, my mother-in-law died. My grandmother died. My mom had a hip. You know, you just like get in your head. And so I found a lot of comfort in relating to Jeremiah. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I'm far from it. But I did relate to him, and I didn't even know really that much about him. And I always feel bad when I say that because... I feel like I'm saying my Old Testament professors didn't teach me anything. But, you know, you're just like learning so much and you kind of forget. And it was 11 years ago and, you know, all of that. So I think he's a cool guy. And it has made me want to like lean in and learn a little bit more. So the first part of Jeremiah is this call um, that God has of Jeremiah. What you You said you had some some thoughts about that. And yeah. I mean, there's in there's
0: two things to Jeremiah that everyone knows, right? It's um, before you were born, I knew you, right? Well, which we'll talk about now. And then next week, Jeremiah 2011. Yeah. I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, right? Like we all have that somewhere in our house or, you know, it's, you know, it's at out. this point, those yeah. are the two things we know about it. And it goes here, right? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 5, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So there, what it makes me think of is, right, like, uh, I think we, throughout the years since, the generations since, we see this as God has always known us, right? God has always been with us. We see it as this uplifting thing. Right. Here in Jeremiah's call, it immediately goes into, do not say, I am only a boy, yeah. So here you got this idea, Jeremiah is probably protesting, um, yeah. maybe like Moses, you know, like, I can't do this. I don't. Forgetting just a couple of verses before God saying, before you were even a boy, I knew you. So yeah. like, this isn't a shock to me that you are who you are. Yeah. I still called you. I still consecrated you. So just this idea of Jeremiah wrestling with that, like, being known, but also doubting himself.
1: Yeah. It's interesting because in verse seven, my, my version says, but the Lord said to me, do not say that your people are too young, but go to the people I send to you and tell them everything I command you to say. So at Dyson convention last year, um, I had the honor of preaching at the Eucharist and at Dyson convention this year, my dear friend Amanda Robertson had the honor of preaching and I was it made me think like how grateful I was to have a bishop that like looked to two women under the age of 50 who people might say are too young shouldn't be doing what they're doing but they're rectors of churches you know and they are both, both of us proclaimed in very different ways um, the Lord's word, you know? And so I think we're, none of us are too young. I mean, think about how we, what we learn from children, what we learn. I mean, I know that the older people in our lives are full of wisdom, but I think that all of us, none of us are too young or not good enough or whatever to do what God is calling us to do. Right. It's that not listening part or that, I'm afraid or I'm not good enough or somewhere along the way, someone told us we were bad or we weren't good or, you know, those rejections we've had in our lives. It's not God. It's us that does that or the people in our lives that have done that. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's looking at folks as fully Christian already by virtue of their baptism, not that they have to wait and grow up and mature but, um, you know, yesterday was Feast of St. Martin. Well, right. we're recording yes. this on Monday. So yesterday we did a big feast day at church and kids read. We don't typically have kids read the lessons, um, but we on certain days we do. And so it was two um, young ladies, elementary school age ladies who read the lessons, which, right, to hear that. Cause we also have like 80 plus year old guys read the lessons and there's something to be said for that too. But to hear that, to, we, uh, St. Martin, we also um, install all the acolytes and we recognize the acolyte ministry. I mean, there's a couple dozen kids, right. Who they lead our worship. Like it doesn't actually happen really without Absolutely. these kids who wake up early on Sunday morning. So they're, every bit as integral to what happens as the old ladies on altar guild or the old men that hand out bulletins as ushers, right? Like they're taking their place in the leadership of the church. Um, Really, hopefully because they've never thought to ask, can I do this?
1: Yeah. And that's where we want to like, take that away, right? That ask of can I?
0: I've been to churches where you have to be an adult to acolyte. Right, yeah. because they want it to be proper, and they want it to be, uh, They don't want the church to burn down, right? If the cost of getting a kid involved in worship is burning the church down, let's burn the church down.
1: Absolutely, I, you know. I was thinking about it Saturday morning, so we were at Christ Church Greenville, and the Eucharist was first thing. So there's these three lovely teenagers at eight fifteen on a Saturday morning showing up to acolyte, and I made sure to go up to them and be like, "Hey, ladies, I'm so thankful you're here," because. I'm sure they wanted to be in their beds, you know, but they weren't, they were there and we could not have done it without them. They were an integral part of what we were doing, you know? And so I do think, yes, like we are all called and we keep talking about this all the time, but that's because the Bible's full of it, right? The Bible is full of God calling ordinary people to do magnificent things. And we can't ignore that, you know? So as we keep going, there's these visions that happen in Jeremiah. And then also God, like just loving and caring for Israel, refusing to give up on them. Um, Yes, they have some unfaithfulness. Yes, they don't want to worship God. But God just like continues to um, love them and say, you're mine. And I'm not giving up. And Jeremiah, I need your help into making this happen, right?
0: And yeah, it I mean, does. Yeah, it's this idea. It's what the prophets are. The prophets are speaking, you know, God's truth into a world that that doesn't want to hear it or denies it. Or you know, I think about chapter five. I love this. My version. Um, Is run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look around and take note. Search its squares and see if you can find one person who acts justly and seek truth so that I might pardon Jerusalem. This, to me, this is one person. Like God's like, I just need an end, right? Like I want to pardon my people. I just, and find it. Like I'm not giving up on this.
1: Yeah, just one.
0: And the idea search to and fro. I can just imagine like it's like a scene in a movie, right? When, you know, the man or the woman's running through the city looking for whoever they're looking for. Like it I mean, that's God's pursuit of us.
1: Yeah, I love that. And there is some rejection, or at least what the people of Israel feel is rejection, and they get rebellious, and then that's when this war starts. So I'm all the way like into six and seven but then god like gives jeremiah this prophetic voice and the courage to say you know this is important god is with us do not feel forsaken even in the midst of their like own disobedience and their own wanting to have war and do different things that are not not in you know favor of god um and then my favorite part I want to skip to nine is, or the end of eight, first of nine is, this is where I really connect with Jeremiah. Jeremiah has this just deep sorrow and connectiveness to the people. And I think this is where, okay, so you've seen the movie, The Shack, right? I watched it again last night because I'm thinking about showing it to my youth group. And it's just like, an amazing movie. If you haven't watched it, you should. Like to me the theology is just right on point and so beautiful. But one of the reasons that um I'm bringing it up is that the people that play God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, you know, it's it it helps because you're seeing people. But the guy that plays Jesus is saying you're still seeing the human side of me, right? In in the shack in the movie. And and to me, it's like, I feel like Jeremiah, sometimes people can do something God can't do, right? Which is the human side of that, right? And, and Jeremiah has got this humanness to him where he's sad and broken and sorryful for them, but still trying to um, uplift them and show them the Lord's favor. I just think it's kind of interesting. Um, not yeah, I have, a, all, I have a... But it is the humanness that sometimes Jesus, thank God for Jesus, you know, because he understood the humanness, right?
0: Yeah, I have a, a footnote here on kind of the end of eight through the beginning of nine. and the the heading of the footnote, Israel is sick unto death and God grieves. Yeah. So it's this idea that something's broken in Israel and yeah. God Grief. Like there's hurt and pain and God wants to make it right.
1: Yeah. And he teaches them about how to praise God. Like if you move into 10 um, and then into 11 and he teaches them about covenants and he's really a teacher in a lot of ways that I really didn't realize. So, it's you know, his main purpose is to bring them back into right with God. Um, and, and, but even in the midst of that, as you keep going on some, and there is Jeremiah does have questions for the Lord. He does, he does worry. Um, but in the midst of that, there still is drought and famine. And again, Jeremiah is just like our own world, right? Like It's not always peaceful. It's not always perfect. I go back to the shack, you know, this guy's daughter is killed and he keeps questioning God, like, why didn't you let that happen? And God keeps saying, that's life, you know, like it's part of life, all these things. But God doesn't ever forsake us in any of that. Um, And so um, anyway, this, this doom and bloom, it keeps happening. But Jeremiah is faithful through it. So I think we need to get to the part and I'm in uh chapter 8 that a lot of people know about which is the potter part of Jeremiah, okay? So we all know about the broken pot and again this connects back to the humanness um and the clay and and how we're the clay and this is this is something that a lot of us know and can identify with. And I just wanted to point out that that comes from Jeremiah. Um, 18, um, and then it goes on in into the, um, the broken jar and, you know, that we're all broken and we're all sinful, but in all of that, God is with us. Okay. I've talked a lot. What do you think?
0: No, I love that idea. Um, cause we, right. When we think about the clay pots, we think, you know, we're, the clay God molds us, like we think about it, I think about I tend to think about it in that way, you know, mold me, God, we get that in in scripture. The flip side of that is that clay is easily broken, and how is that tended to and I think here all throughout Jeremiah, we get this sense of people who want to do right, people who don't do right, and the tension between those things, like when things are going good it's good. When things are going bad, it's bad.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I think also one thing we receive in this book is the realness of Jeremiah, you know. And um, when we get into next week, you know, Jeremiah has to go on trial and he has to do all these things for the Lord. But in this version that we're talking or these chapters we're talking about this time, If you go to chapter 23, there is a lot of hope. And Tony talked about this as well. Um, And Jeremiah, God uses Jeremiah to convey that hope. Um, And and even though he's scared, even though he, he says, my heart is crumbling, is crushed, and I'm trembling. But because of the Lord, because of his holy words, I am enough. You know, and, and, and I think that's something that we all can relate for, to, right? We're all broken. We're all sinful. Yes, we're scared in this time of, you know, uncertainty or whatever might be going on in our own lives. But because of the Lord, we have hope. And we can forget that, can't we, Alan? We just
0: yeah. it Yeah. So um, for my money, um, Jeremiah 6, uh, 16 this is kind of the the nugget to me in jeremiah and it gets to this hope right um so we're going all the way back to six says thus says the lord stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way lies and walk in it and find rest for your souls so this idea like stand at the crossroads whether it's Life's falling apart, life's good crossroads, whether it's decision cross, whatever you're standing at, whenever there's a decision point, whenever there's a change, whenever there's whatever. God's saying, look for the ancient path. Look for what I've told you before. Look for the way that's been laid out from before you were born, before you were knit together in your mother's womb. Look for that and you'll find rest for your souls. Yeah. Thank
1: God for Jeremiah. And those are reminders and for God. Okay. Well, that's the first kind of bit of Jeremiah. We'll get into the next, next week. Um, so we look forward to being with y'all again. Remember as always, we love you, but most importantly, God does.